Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hip-hop and journalism have never gotten along too well. Perhaps it's because the news media began by dismissing hip-hop as a fad, and then evolved into demonizing it as a menace. Or perhaps it's because the magazines and radio stations and other media machinery that sprung up to specifically cover hip-hop quickly became a rabid hype machine that capitalized on and exaggerated things like coastal rivalries and interpersonal conflict between rappers, sometimes with tragic results. Or maybe it's just because hip-hop is all about seizing the right to tell one's own story. Baked into the culture is a recognition of the power that comes from representing yourself in the first person, in your own words. Whatever you chalk it up to, the relationship between hip-hop and journalists through the years has been not good. 
To millions of teenagers, most of them white, he's the poet laureate of gangster rap, the rap style of a ghetto world where everybody's got a gun, women are bitches, and shooting cops is fair game. The chorus, it goes on and on, is that related to the lowest unemployment ever, basically, okay. for African Americans? But, but you know, the white media has been very upset about some of the things you say in your songs. The way I get them causing people to be very upset by the things you're saying. This is why I say that hip-hop has done more damage to young African-Americans than racism in recent years. Add it all up, and you have a long-standing state of suspicion on the part of rappers towards journalists, which is why hip-hop evolution is so great. Every rapper interviewed on this Netflix series, now in its third season, seems to embrace the show's host with wide open arms and a big friendly smile. For once, they're given a chance to celebrate hip-hop, not defend it, apologize for it, or explain it. And they all seem to really appreciate that. And they open up. Ice Cube is a nice guy with no attitude. Snoop Dogg gets kind of sad. Ghostface Killer, Big Sweetie. All of these rappers greet the journalist interviewing them like a friend, and they reveal things to him that you are not expecting. And that journalist is Shad. Remember Shad? When last I spoke with him, Shad had just been given the best worst job in Canadian media. He was Gian Gameshi's replacement on CBC's Q. It did not go well. And his rough time on that show and his eventual loss of that job was covered in excruciating detail by the Globe and Mail and by others. The consensus seemed to be that, you know, Shad might be a great MC and a really nice guy, but not a great interviewer and certainly not a journalist. Well, here's what the Globe and Mail did not cover. Shad and his hip hop evolution team won a Peabody which is like the Pulitzer Prize for broadcast journalism. They also won an Emmy. And their show, Hip Hop Evolution, this joyful, respectful, loving oral history of an art form that rose up from the rubble to take over the world, it is a remarkable piece of journalism. The most exhaustive documentary about hip hop so far. And Shad, along with series director Darby Wheeler and writer Rodrigo Bascunin, Join me in our Toronto studio to talk about it all in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Colin Bird, Cody L. Baudreau, Malcolm Fraser, Brittany Ayotte, Aaron Bazdeo, Bob Chandler, Alex Eddington, and Aaron Goose. I'm Aaron Ghost from Kimberley, BC, and I support Canada Land because I've been following Jesse Brown since his days at Search Engine, and it's good to hear him finally hosting a show with a good theme song. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. 
It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Hip-hop and journalism have never gotten along too well. Perhaps it's because the news media began by dismissing hip-hop as a fad, and then evolved into demonizing it as a menace. Or perhaps it's because the magazines and radio stations and other media machinery that sprung up to specifically cover hip-hop quickly became a rabid hype machine that capitalized on and exaggerated things like coastal rivalries and interpersonal conflict between rappers, sometimes with tragic results. Or maybe it's just because hip-hop is all about seizing the right to tell one's own story. Baked into the culture is a recognition of the power that comes from representing yourself in the first person, in your own words. Whatever you chalk it up to, the relationship between hip-hop and journalists through the years has been not good. To millions of teenagers, most of them white, he's the poet laureate of gangster rap, the rap style of a ghetto world where everybody's got a gun, women are bitches, and shooting cops is fair game. The chorus, it goes on and on, is that related to the lowest unemployment ever, basically, okay, for African-Americans? You know, the white media has been very upset about some of the things you say in your song. The way I get them causing people to be very upset by the things you're saying. This is why I say that hip-hop has done more damage to young African-Americans than racism in recent years. Add it all up, and you have a long-standing state of suspicion on the part of rappers towards journalists which is why hip-hop evolution is so great. Every rapper interviewed on this Netflix series, now in its third season, seems to embrace the show's host with wide-open arms and a big, friendly smile. For once, they're given a chance to celebrate hip-hop, not defend it, apologize for it, or explain it. And they all seem to really appreciate that. And they open up. Ice Cube is, 
a nice guy with no attitude. Snoop Dogg gets kind of sad. Ghostface Killer, Big Sweetie. All of these rappers greet the journalist interviewing them like a friend, and they reveal things to him that you are not expecting. And that journalist is Shad. Remember Shad? When last I spoke with him, Shad had just been given the best worst job in Canadian media. He was Gian Gameshi's replacement on CBC's Q. It did not go well. And his rough time on that show and his eventual loss of that job was covered in excruciating detail by the Globe and Mail and by others. The consensus seemed to be that, you know, Shad might be a great MC and a really nice guy, but not a great interviewer and certainly not a journalist. Well, here's what the Globe and Mail did not cover. Shad and his hip-hop evolution team won a Peabody, which is like the Pulitzer Prize for broadcast journalism. They also won an Emmy. And their show, Hip-Hop Evolution, this joyful, respectful, loving oral history of an art form that rose up from the rubble to take over the world, it is a remarkable piece of journalism. The most exhaustive documentary about hip-hop so far. And Shad, along with series director Darby Wheeler and writer Rodrigo Bascunin, join me in our Toronto studio to talk about it all in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Colin Bird, Cody L. Baudreau, Malcolm Fraser, Brittany Ayotte, Aaron Bazdeo, Bob Chandler, Alex Eddington, and Aaron Goose. I'm Aaron Goose from Kimberley, BC, and I support Canada Land because I've been following Jesse Brown since his days at Search Engine, and it's good to hear him finally hosting a show with a good theme song. My name is Darby Wheeler, and I am a film and TV director, directed Hip Hop Evolution, which I believe we're speaking about today. We have very similar resumes. My name is Rodrigo Baskudin. With Darby, I wrote, produced, and directed some episodes of Hip Hop Evolution. And my name is Shad, Shad Rakabango. I'm an artist and also the host of Hip Hop Evolution. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. For having us. I guess the first thing I, I would have to recognize is just like the sheer number of people you talk to, Shad. Like, mm. what strikes you first is like you really booked some big stars. Like, it's not just like, yeah, you got Snoop and Ice Cube and Ice T and Sean Combs and LL and Lil Kim. But there's also like Africa Bombada, Grand Wizard Theodore, Cool Herc, Fab Five Freddy, Roxanne Chante, like literally the people who invented, some of the people who invented this thing that took over the world. Mm -hmm. And then Prince Paul was in there <laughs> and Primo and Pete Rock and like Rod Digga, whatever happened to Rod Digga, she's in the show. There are over 130 interviews. Oh, wow. And you have four episodes in your season. So how the hell did you book this show? At the beginning, first season, it was mostly Darby and yeah, I, yeah. and we would split it up sometimes just like based on our sort of psychological profile of what, <laughs> how, what we thought this person was like. So I got the nerds, or Darby, the, or got, the... Darby got the divas, that was kind yeah. of like the division. Uh -huh. Darby would be like, this guy seems like super nerdy, yeah. he's like, you should talk to him. <laughs> but then, Ow, uh, Two hours later, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, later. thanks yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> but we did a lot of the chasing first season. And then second to fourth, we had a dedicated talent producer and then an American producer, a talent producer. And then we'd also have local fixers that 
you know, were friends or people we, we found. So it was a real combination of all things. And then also at the same time, we're still doing yeah, it. Yeah, I would say so. we drove it. Though. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I used to work at Much Music with George Strombolopoulos in the hour at CBC. So I know how to chase people pretty good, as Rodrigo does too. Just finding, but with hip hop, it was different. You had to sometimes find like, run dmc dmc's brother you know like or uh weird angles to get numbers to old school guys right it's like a game uh, yeah. so and so knows yeah. so and so yeah, yeah and you know hip-hop's an industry but it's also a community i have to mm-hmm. imagine as you get oh, to yeah. season three that like word gets around like well i mean it's what we do we say well here are the people who've been on the show so far and then people can speak of the experience whether it was a good one or not mm-hmm. so there's like a domino effect to it but it is really impressive like i had a call with a guy i know who's like the vp at was it Universal or Sony in L.A.? And he's trying to make documentary films about music. He's like, how do you guys get all these people? Because I'm trying to get these people, and they record for us. They're on our label. (laughs) And I can't get them to sit down for our productions. I'm like, yeah, these guys kind of know how to play this game of, like, sometimes it is talking to their brother or the person no one knows who influenced them. Sometimes we'd sit down and have an interview with them, and then we can approach that person we really want to sit down with and and say, yeah, we spoke with this person. They're like, oh, you know your stuff then. We were strategic about it at the beginning, especially. We knew that you could build it bottom up. So you get Cool Herc, and that'll make Flash do it, which will make Bam do it. And if you got those three guys, okay, now Melly Mel will do it. Oh, now you got all those guys, so Run DMC will do it. Second, third, and fourth season, it was a little bit different because... By that point, the first season it aired, you could say, oh, it's won some awards. You know, it airs on Netflix. All of that helped. It was like a package now. Part of the pleasure of watching it is there are moments where like, oh, they got this big star. Yeah, but, then, yeah. but then just like, oh, like Chad is just walking into somebody's apartment. And on the other side of that door is Grand Wizard Theater. Like, like I'm just like picturing in my head, like, I guess you just go yeah. to the yeah. airport and get on a plane and go to New York and get in a cab and then knock on a door and when that door opens, well, that's the, who's standing there. Well, the funny thing, and I, from my artist life, I know this too. Like, if I have to sit down for an interview, oftentimes the place I'll suggest is my house. This is easier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's easier for me. I can just wake up, come downstairs, and we can just, and I'm comfortable. So it kind of works out well because it looks great, <laughs> but it is also just yeah, easier for place. the artist. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting as you get into the history of hip-hop, the further you get, the nicer the rooms, <laughs> you know? Most but some of the people yeah. who are most most fundamental to yeah. this thing. Everybody seems to be doing fine, but like some people are just like, yeah, this is my apartment. And yeah. oh, Cool Herc yeah. drove up in a really crappy Honda yeah. Civic, like yeah. a 1988 really? Honda Civic, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. With in those general, are, yeah. the pioneers, like the real, real pioneers, like the 70s yeah. Bronx Harlem guys. They missed out on the payday. They didn't get it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And even when you move forward, like even through the 80s, like people who are big, like a Rakim or a Kane, like, you never really know because the the deals were so bad back then. Yeah, what they really got, you know, like you have big groups that really never. I don't think they got any. They the tour, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Some so, of them are still hustling, I guess. To, yeah, like whatever definitely. that name can, yeah, yeah. can translate into. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to guess. You, yeah. you like so and so is doing fine, but an equivalent artist who you think would might be okay is, is has sh- nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, you you kind of can feel that after a while, like who's who's doing well, who isn't. Okay, so Candleland deals with journalism, and I want to discuss what you did as a work of journalism. And it, it, I know you resist the term definitive, but I think <laughs> it's the most exhaustive. I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, definitive is tough because there's a lot missing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how can you? You know, yeah, so yeah. Th- three seasons so far, four episodes a season. I mean, but this seems like, as an oral history, as an attempt to document it, this seems like 
the biggest swing at it so far. And it got me thinking about the relationship between hip hop and journalism writ large, which has been kind of a strained relationship from the start. I think maybe because hip hop itself is a form of journalism, you know, the, the famous Chuck D quote, this like uh, black America, CNN, and, you know, the emphasis on telling your own story. And I think a, a real awareness of the power that exists in who gets to tell your story and seizing mm -hmm. that power and saying, well, I'm going to tell my own story. And then when other people come in and tell it, I mean, some of the archival footage you dig up of the early news media reactions to hip hop. <laughs> There is mounting concern that the music teenagers are listening to, rap, is getting too explicit. Susan Pierce is a parent who is not impressed by Two Live Crew. That's your job as a parent is to set some standards for your kids. I think this is nothing but verbal pollutants. Federal judge in South Florida declared Two Live Crew's album, Nasty As They Wanna Be, obscene by local community standards. <laughs> that stuff has not aged well. Yeah, yeah. You know, just the, the disgust and the yeah, demonization. Two Live Crew is a good example. In season two, there's like yeah. a whole news crew of people that's just so yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, the moral panic. Yes. I mean, and then, the, the, you know, the Senate committees and Tipper Gore and all that stuff I remember of just uh, how, I mean, people were terrified. And they were just very dismissive of it as a form. Yeah, the general sense was it was going to be a trend. Like it was going yeah. to disappear, right? It was a novelty. Are you all Canadians in this room? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. How the hell are you the ones telling yeah. the most exhaustive history of hip-hop from the beginning? Like, how is this your work of journalism? It's funny because, you know, here we are in 2019, and I think there's an understood value of the history of hip-hop now. Yeah. But when this series was first being pitched in 2012, 2013, which is not that long ago, really. It wasn't the same. So when it, when you know Banger, the production company, was pitching this, it, it wasn't like everyone's like amazing idea. Like here's oh, your money, run with it. People were like, not sure if that's gonna work. Who cares they about were this? Scared. Was very, too. There was a lot yeah. of skepticism mm -hmm. about the value of this of telling this history. So what that did is it presented an opportunity because imagine if that's the same conversation that's happening with possibly other production companies or journalists in the United States and they're getting that same pushback where people are not really interested. So there was sort of, there was an opportunity there for people to come in. And, you know, we just happened to be the ones that got that chance. But I do think there was also an advantage to being Canadian to it. And we heard this from Americans, yeah. not mm -hmm. just me mm -hmm. speculating, in that we were, a, we're a blank slate. We don't come with any baggage. Mm -hmm. We don't have a particular bias towards any artists or regions. You know, whereas... I think a lot of, of the more well-known journalists, if they had tried the project, might already be tainted in some way by their history. You know, things that we don't even know about, right? Whatever relationships they had, where they're from, et cetera, et cetera. So being Canadian really kind of like, people saw us without judgment. You know, just like, okay, they're an inoffensive Canadian crew and it's going to be really like nice and innocent, right? Not that there was anything unsavory about it, but they were just open to it. So it yeah. helped us from that perspective. That's one aspect of it. And and the other one, I wonder, like Canadians kind of famously seem to be able to take an overview approach. Like we just grow up right. consuming so much American media mm -hmm. and we don't have the same kind of like regional associate. I mean, maybe there is a Toronto to New York kind of thing, <laughs> that, you know, but there's also just seems to be like, if you're Canadian and into comedy, you become a student of comedy. If you're Canadian and into rock, you become a student of rock. Right. Do, is yeah. there like a Poindexter hip hop nerd aspect of this where Canadian, the Canadianness helps you? I think so too. I mean, it's just like Darby was saying, right? Like he grew up near Windsor or near yeah. Chatham, Windsor area, right? So, like, 
certain artists, like let's take, for example, E-40. The moon is full, look at the dark clouds. Sitting in my scraper watching Oakland going wild, ta -da. I don't bump mainstream, I knock underground. All that other sugar-coated and watered down. I'm from the Bay where we have... No one in Toronto likes E-40, like, to a great extent, right? Like, it's just... But in Detroit, they love yeah, E-40. Yeah, and Too Short, yeah. I used in, to buy those records there. So, yeah, I definitely Houston, have a different... they yeah. love E-40. It's like, yeah. so, yeah, I, yeah, I do feel like... That's absolutely It's a good example, E-40. Yeah, E-40 yeah. e is great. Because if you go to Texas, E-40 is the yeah. biggest rapper like ever outside of like Ghetto Boys. What about you yeah. as an MC from here? Same thing. Do you yeah. feel like being Canadian frees you from having to kind of be too affiliated with something? Like you, you can kind of just love everything I, with I, permission to love everything? I think so. And like Drake's kind of a prime example, right? Like he kind of popped up doing a style that... Everybody loved in Houston because it kind of touched on what they were doing and obviously New York. But Fonte from North Carolina is one of his favorite rappers. Like he he is this hybrid of yeah, so is. many styles of rap. He was maybe the first guy to be like, I don't have a cadence. I don't have a style. Like I love music. I love rap music and I kind of do it all. So, yeah, I, I think so for sure. There's a freedom to that. Yeah, it is kind of funny. We never really got pushback from people. I don't think people saw us as outsiders because Rodrigo had ran a you know a hip hop magazine for a decade, and I worked at you know much and and Shad was already an MC. People were very aware. Like all the De La Soul guys love Shad. I just remember that, right? Like so, it wasn't that we were outsiders. That must feel good. But I very yeah, good. but I definitely you know Nelson George, the the journalist, he was worked with us on the first season, and me and Rodrigo did some early research sessions with him in Toronto, and that was he literally first thing he said was because you guys so lucky to be Canadian. You don't even know. And so we really didn't know, yeah. right? But it was that sort of, like you said, like like Rodrigo mentioned, no baggage. There's And, and I actually think there's, I always said an example to Rodrigo, you know, BBC and English journalism and music journalism did reggae so good. They just covered it. And that sort of was our goal with hip hop to be, make Canadians be the ones who, like you said, have that lens that could look, yeah. you know, and, and not be so inside you know, and have things that would curve your perspective in a way. And then when the mm -hmm. door knocks and and they open their home to, and it's you, Shad, mm -hmm. they really seem very, very comfortable. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you're a stranger I, to I, almost yeah. all these people, right? Yeah, I think the hard <laughs> thing is getting people to sit down, right? Like the chasing that we were talking about at the beginning. But once they're sitting down, they're talking about hip-hop. They love it. Like, I think the best example is probably Lil' Kim. Do you remember that first rhyme you kicked for Biggie? It was on Fulton Street, right? I was a baby, you know, 16, 17, basically. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but um, I used to really like Buckshot. I Buck used shot. to rhyme like him. I would listen to Black Moon over and over again. I don't remember it all, but I remember I said something to the sense of, I'm so hot, I'm hotter than the sun, now where the man or who that to come or whatever. You hit him with the buckshot flow. Hit him with the buckshot. <laughs> hit him with the buckshot flow. And he was like, wait a minute, what? Like that big ass voice coming out of this little ass girl. He was like. <laughs> she is in another world now, you know, you can see like she's in a sort of a different world. She's still in hip hop, but she's well, also in Well, we have to a... unpack that a bit. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. What's this different world well, of Lil' Kim's? It's Lil' Kim world. You know, she's in the world, a world I'm unfamiliar with of like, you know, dressing up and Instagram and all. She's like an icon. She's in a very, very moneyed environment. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, here's Lil' Kim. And, and then she's like, she really opens up to you. 
a lot of people ask me about that interview in particular because they see the photos and see how much she's changed and they wonder what's she like anyways and i was like honestly once we started talking about hip-hop she was like maybe the coolest person yeah, we talked to. She so is cool. cool. Yeah, like, I agree. Funny, like street. Yeah. And still and Kim, everybody says that about her. Like she looks different. Kim. Like people in her world are like, that's still Kim. Yeah. You know, people always yeah. say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, what I'm getting at is like getting people to sit down for an interview, it's not promoting their project or whatever, is probably the hard part of the game. Once they're sitting down and they're talking about the music they love, the era where all these special things happened in their life, like, they're just happy to do it. I think that you do connect with them on, on the level of like a mutual love. Yeah. And I think, I think so. there's something about you to give you some respect as an interviewer hmm. that again and again rests these very human, unexpected moments out of people who we know as like almost like superheroes or cartoon characters or like whether they're icons or however you think of them, you don't think of them as just like a person telling a story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I enjoyed that aspect of it, kind of trying to prepare myself to, like, receive someone's story, you know? But I do think there's a thing about connecting around music, and it certainly, again, helped once the first season was out. So, like, Snoop, for example, saw the first season, loved it, and when he sat down to talk, I think he got what the show is and what we're looking for, right? Yeah. So when people had that experience, it was always a lot easier too. Like he, I mean, he's a pro, but he also, because he saw the show, I think he understood. Yeah, okay. He was different though, right? You're yeah. right about that. Because I actually sort of, I did tell him what we were going to do and it was about Tupac a lot, right? So he didn't go into Snoop, you know, funny, he had a different vibe about him. Um, I've never seen him like that in, yeah. in an interview yeah, yeah. and and this moment. And I don't know, like not everybody listening will know the context of like talking about Biggie versus Tupac like again, like <laughs> like the subject of like endless dorm room conspiracy theories, Illuminati, there's been documentaries made about this and who assassinated and 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 then you've just got Snoop like realizing that his own son is the same yeah. age yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as Tupac yeah. when Tupac was killed. I was riding on the freeway and I heard it on the radio station. Like 25, my oldest son is 25 years old. I'm thinking like, damn, that's only how old he was. He did a lot, but he didn't get a chance to do what he needed to do. He had more to do. And it kind of builds. You've, you've got... You know, Sean Combs just remembering his friend. I was ready to quit. I wasn't going to put out any more records. Then I was watching TV one day. You know, one of those times of despair that nobody is around, and you're, like, crying on the floor, and this, the self-pity is at an all-time high, and you're, like, asking God why. And, and then I just heard um, every breath you take by the police. I just took it as a sign. And sometimes you need, you just need that little bit of light to be able to express yourself. And I thought that the best thing I could do was to not give up. I was down and I was out, but I wasn't finished. Um, but all I could do was, was get up and, and start to fight. And that's the way, you know, Big would have wanted it. And you bring him to tears thinking about that. And then the way that oral histories work of like everybody kind of comparing notes and what you kind of get is a different telling of that, of a story that I thought I'd never want to hear. Same here. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. And, and, and the telling yeah. is, yeah. this was 
idiotic. This was just this was a tragic series of mistakes and circumstances and accidents that never had to happen. And now that these two incredibly talented people aren't with us because of it, it's very sad. It was it was the episode I was least interested in watching and the one that I think I might have learned the most from. We were definitely concerned about making Ugh. it because of exactly what you said. You know, it's been covered so much. And we knew, okay, originally we were only going to do one episode about it. And even at points, we're like, should we just run over this whole thing? Yeah, have them gone. Give it a quick gloss. Get yeah. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, the prism of the show is what's happening to the music and the culture. That's the guiding principle, which will explain, like, why people aren't there or why people are there. You know, that that is our guiding principle. So when we sat back, it was like, we're telling the story of the East and West with respect to how it will ultimately affect the culture, which is what you get at the end of the second episode, which is the emergence of Puff and this jiggy sound of hip-hop collectively wanting to breathe a sigh of relief and like look to a brighter sound to forget what they've just been through. Yeah, know? and the hyper-commercialization that followed oh, and, yeah. and it taking right. a turn towards party music. Like, you know, like, like yeah. that's, you can't skip that chapter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, But they're connected. They're connected ideas, they're connected moments, that the fact that these tragedies happen and they're sort of this realization of hip-hop's collective power and responsibility is a part of the same story as the emergence of the Jiggy era. Mm -hmm. Those are the same thing. They're just, you know, cause and effect in a way. So that was why we ended up telling it the way we did. Yeah, you're not going to satisfy everybody, too. Like you said, there's a million things about Biggie and Tupac's murders, and there's those kind of viewers who are like, why didn't they go tell... This part yeah, of the story, yeah, there's yeah. a a lot of interesting, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, inside yeah. stuff and that. Can, those, you can yes. write the, yeah. as far as research and oh, writing yeah. episodes. That was the one that drove us the most crazy and editing. Editing, yeah, yeah. Never mind. yeah. That was the one that drove because it was just there's so many pathways you can go down, and you just have to again you have to remember what your principles are about. It's like it's about music and culture, which is why our entry point to that is to explain. This is where hip hop is right now. The West has risen. The East has come back, and now there's sort of this standoff, stalemate. But there's also a history here of kind of like a subliminal animosity that's already always existed. So that's why we start there with those stories of like, what was the foundation that could even allow something so silly as a bi-coastal war, which, you know, now sounds just really crazy and ridiculous. Yeah. But at the time, there were, like, precedents for it. So that's why we go there, so yeah. you can understand, like how this all unfolds, right? And it was really, that that was the guiding principle of that whole episode. How does it happen in hip-hop, right? And what is hip-hop's story about it? The guiding principle of, of the whole thing, I think, is joy. And the way that I think you're able to get the moments you get is through just whatever else is happening. I mean, you're in some strange situations. I see he's got this dog and like, you know, or, or you're just in somebody's apartment, like, you know, but whatever happens is like, that's the point that everybody can agree on. And some of those moments, aside from these dramas, like Q-Tip shaking his head thinking about Illmatic and just like, yeah, yeah. it's well, a masterpiece. You, you know, a masterpiece. That, that was what I was really happy that these guys did in the editing is they made the show entertaining and fun to watch because I knew how thoroughly researched it was. But I was like, I hate, I hate when music docs, like there's been music docs that I've watched. I'm not going to name them my name, but they're like <laughs> about a music or era or a group that I love. And I'm like, why am I going to wash the dishes right now like i'm actually bored watching this yeah like it doesn't it doesn't contain any of the joy that is actually in the music in which case what's the point in which case what's the point yeah right so i do 
that's probably my favorite thing about yeah, hip hop well, evolution is that, earlier, is Jesse, that it yeah. is entertaining. It's fun to watch, just like the music is fun to listen to. It's beyond that. Like yeah. the, the look on your face when like supernatural is yeah. is rhyming <laughs> and works in hip hop evolution into it. When it comes to spitting, yo, I'm never disrespected. There is no confusion. Write the constitution. Sitting here, this is hip hop evolution. And yo, I'm still here. And that's the way we take it. It's nice. I'ma stop right there. Cause we wreck it, right? Uh. There's just a sense yes. from you the whole time. It was like, I get to be here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. And I, I never wanted to I never wanted to hide that. And I wanted to even highlight, like, yo, freestyling is amazing. We don't really do it anymore. Yeah. Like, whatever. Like, it's not exactly part of the culture anymore. But it's amazing. And this is part of why the culture spread. It was yeah. because of amazing things like breakdancing and freestyling and, like... Pure skills. Uh, pure mm-hmm. skills yeah. and, and these moments. Like, uh, I do love the Nas section. Because it highlights, yo, when this guy came out, there's a lot of people we talked to. They're like, we were working on albums and we stopped. Yeah. Like, really good artists. They're like, we stopped. Illmatic is right there with what's going on. Marvin Gaye. Like, it's that good. Like, it really is. It's a masterpiece. And I don't really throw that word around and shit, but it's a masterpiece. Illmatic changed everything. Like, you had to be better, period. And, like, to capture what that means to, like, an entire genre and culture is, like, it should feel exciting. It shouldn't feel anything less than exciting. And I think it's, like, a history that recognizes it's not just simply, like, the style evolved and this sound came out of this. Like, no, like, individuals, geniuses. 17-year-old, 18-year-old geniuses. Like, how young they were, too, is just, like, amazing. Grandmaster Flash at 13, (laughs) discovering new ways to use a turntable. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) As a junior high kid. Kids. You know, like, revolutionizing music and what that must have felt like when people at a party are hearing a section of a record looped for the first time. Yeah. They'd never heard that. They had no imagination for how that could even be possible. Well, and that's the the kind of original joy, is taking... Like it's not supposed to be an instrument. It's it's something you're, you're like we're just, you're just supposed to buy shit with this. You're just a consumer, and you put it on, and you turn it into an instrument. Yes, and that's a foundational act of joy that yeah. everything is built on. Yeah. Was yeah. there a favorite for you? Is was there yeah. like an interview that? I guess I have two categories of favorites. Like there's some that are my favorite because I really learned something. Like there was one interview I remember we had with Angie Martinez. And that was just interesting learning about, you know, hip hop journalism and stuff. But also there's just a moment in that interview where it clicked for me that like, oh, hip hop is New York culture because we've been talking about it even here. Like it's an American thing, but it's actually New York culture. I was just talking with her and she was talking. I was like, she has no other culture but this. Like this is her life and how she lives and breathes and whatever. So there are moments like that, interviews that I really like. And then there's just artists that I'm a huge fan of. Like uh, Q-Tip yeah. was a big one for all yeah, of Chad us, Chad was I tripping think. on when he was Q-Tip. That was the only interview I've, that I noticed that he was a little nervous about. There's two. <laughs> Were you nervous? Yeah. I, I, I didn't was... even notice that I yeah. was nervous. But like, like I didn't think I would be nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just sitting there in front of Q-Tip was like, you just get this like shock of like Q-tip. everything yeah. I, my career is because you yeah. live. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, he is. A I know it's like a weird sure. feeling yeah. of like, yeah, like I, pretty much most of what I understand of hip hop right. is like you and uh, the people you inspire and the people yeah, you yeah, inspire. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then um, 
you know, KRS-One would be another highlight of an interview just because... Yeah, yeah, that was a great one. I always put it this way, like, if you had my job of interviewing all these rappers, but you never heard rap music, you'd interview KRS-One, you'd be like, he's the best rapper. Right. <laughs> Based on the interview? Based yeah. on the interview. Oh, yeah. Like, he's so yeah. charismatic, it's insane. Today's topic, self-destruction, humiliate the rap audience is bugging. It's one of two suckers, ignorant brothers, trying to rob and steal from one another. Let's come to a show to unity. We know exactly who we are. This is what it means to be conscious, to be awake, to be aware. I feel like it needs to be underlined that you are a hell of an interviewer in this. Oh, thank you. And, and, and you know, we're in the context in Canada of, of the Canadian media. How do I get at this? <laughs> Let me just read you some Globe and Mail headlines about you. Sure. Q, why is Shad so bad? <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. That was... Rapper broadcaster Shad being replaced as host of CBC's Q. CBC starting with Clean Slate as Q relaunches under Tom Power. Here's a, a Globe and Mail headline I can't seem to find. Shad just won a Peabody and an Emmy for his journalism. Why is that not a story? I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Probably hard for um, you to have a perspective on it, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Like, do you think the Canadian media has missed hip-hop evolution? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's been completely ignored. Hmm. It's uh, a Netflix show that is being watched. As far as I can tell, it's, I mean, like, I, I don't, Netflix doesn't give you their numbers, right? So it's doing really well. Yeah. It seems like we it's know doing really it's, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canadians give each other awards for journalism. Like, there, there are more awards than there are journalists at this point. <laughs> I don't really give a shit about awards. I want a Peabody. The Peabody is... Yeah, we're pretty happy about the Peabody. The Peabody is the broadcaster's Pulitzer. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the biggest yeah. journalism mm. awards that exists. That's a big deal that you want to. Peabody We didn't even submit yeah. to it. They found us, yeah. too, so it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's weird. I, I think that... I mean, look, you've been on the show before, mm -hmm. and then I've talked about you on the show before, and I thought that you got a raw deal. I, I think that, that the way that you were set up, I think that that show is a fucking hard show. 100%. A, a, a daily show. Yes. Yeah. To put somebody in who hasn't done that kind of work before yeah. with the entire eyes of the nation on them following the Jean Gomeshi scandal, that was my feeling when I spoke to you about mm -hmm. that. It was like, be careful out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I knew that would be... I mean, challenging is an understatement. Like, I knew it would be basically impossible. Yeah. But I was, I, I don't know, I was up for that. And I don't know why, but I've just never cared that much about the opinions of strangers. You That's enjoyed just, it too, right? I mean, you told yeah, me this. I, yeah, I did. I, oh, the job? Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I had a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. I really did. There is a difference, and maybe it's by virtue of the experience of Q, but I also feel like it's like... I don't know. That's a machinery and, and people put you in situations and you've got to kind of uh, find common ground with people doing theater and people yeah. doing this. Like things, you know, there's no one who's an expert on all of those different things. But the connection you have to this material, I don't know. I just think that, yeah. that I, I, because you took so much heat as an interviewer, mm -hmm. I feel like as much attention should be paid to the fact that you're very good at it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, th I appreciate it was that. a good training ground. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, like, I want to be honest, I was very grateful for Q for Shad because he had this memory thing that was worked more now. Like, you yeah. were pretty good mem memorizing stuff anyways, Yeah. but you were on another level. And then also, like, doing voiceovers, he just had a different... Yeah. I saw it, like, immediately. I was just... Yeah, I, I remember I mean, seeing it. The, the only thing yeah. that was funny to me is, like, uh, there was this sense that, like... Uh, I didn't enjoy doing the inter interviews at Q, and like I enjoy these ones. It's like I enjoyed them all. Yeah. I I love talking to new people. Like I find it like interesting. But yeah, I mean, it was it was like five interviews a day. It was definitely like good, super great training. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
one thing that I wonder about, and especially from your perspective as a Canadian MC, is how do you tell the story of hip hop without recognizing the fact that it has completely exploded globally and that anywhere you go, people are recasting it in their own image and telling their stories through this form. I don't know how you leave that out and I don't know how you tell it either because yeah. every country has its own history of hip hop. It is actually really fascinating how hip hop arrives in different places. If we did a Toronto episode, that would be an interesting story to tell. But I can say as Canadian MC, like I'm not offended that we're not in it, you know, like at this point. You know, like the chronology, you can't move chronologically at a certain point. As you can see with the show, like once you arrive at 1990-something, yeah. hip-hop is everywhere and it's moving and you kind of have to make decisions. These guys, I think, make wonderful decisions about like how to tell a story about how this music has changed. And I don't, I'm not personally offended that we haven't gone to Toronto or like to yeah. the, London and the UK because, and actually, and I'll say this in fairness, I don't think we had a profound effect on the music and culture, like changing it and shaping yeah. it until Drake. I was going to say, like, I would have loved to have seen Dream Warriors in there. Yeah. But I get why they're not in there. I think Shad pretty much got it in that, again, the, the prism was always like, how's, what's happening in the music and culture? How is it changing? And when you look at it like that, it's hard to find examples where the evolution of the music is not driven by Americans. Yep. Yeah. You know, so in France, they have their history, but it's influenced by styles from America. And in the UK, same thing, where that's not really happening. There's not a real reciprocal relationship there. There's not a lot of American MCs will tell you, oh, I listened to so-and-so from Germany, and that's where I got my style from. So the evolution of the music is mostly being It's still the America. engine, you know? Yeah. It's still like... I don't know, and stuff can happen, but it's it's really interesting how that still the center still holds. Yeah, Drake is really the first yeah. international and you can't artist cover... to change the sound of America. Yeah, it does, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. and that actually is a real Canadian contribution because yeah. yeah. it's like, I don't know, like the, the freedom to be emo or yeah. the freedom to, you know, to, to like, yeah. a lot of the stuff we're talking about, about what is the Canadian perspective is like the liberty to be kind of freed from different conceptions of what it is, where you take your inspiration from yeah. or what kind of attitude you have to, you have to. Represent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, there is a version, there actually, it's funny, there was a version where the whole series ends with Drake. But we decided that we couldn't get that far. We just like, this is too much. We need to end it earlier. But in that version of it, it's the same thing. There's building blocks that lead to Drake. Right? Yeah. There's Kanye's 808 and Heartbreaks. There's Kid Cudi. Wayne. Right? So they start opening up this lane for Drake to actually exist. You know, so much of music and, and hip-hop is timing, right? Would Drake doing the exact same thing 10 years earlier would have worked? I don't think so. You needed these sort of primers to get you to the point where the culture is open to one, different regions contributing, and that took the internet to happen where sort of the yeah. boundaries were broken down. And then the second part of it, where you could have this sound that was more ambient, where you could have consistent mix of like crooning and rapping, which is what Cuddy and Kanye bring to it. So there's all these kind of setups, and then you get Drake comes in at the right moment, and it makes sense to the culture. And it, and it can cross over. And then on top of that, he's got an American co-sign, which is just that extra push that he needed to build. But once he gets in the culture, he's accepted, and it makes sense at the time, so the sound blows up, right? 
But it's all built on things that are kind of bubbling. So that for a sounds while. like a, that's a season four thing. <laughs> I just gave you an episode. Yeah. You know, I was joking yesterday. You know that that doc series where the documentarian follows those kids called Seven Up, and every seven years he checks in yeah, with them. Yeah, sure. We're doing that for hip hop. Every seven years we're going <laughs> right. to check we'll in back. and make it. We're going to be like eighty years old. It'll be like okay. season ten. You know. Congratulations! It's Thanks a great show. for having yeah. us. Thanks, yeah, Jesse. Thank you. I appreciate it. That is your Canada Land for this week. I hope you liked it. If you did, tell a friend, review it. Or if you didn't, you can tell me about it. Or, you know, if you did, you can tell me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read every email that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Go to our website to listen to Oppo. It is interesting to listen to Justin Ling become increasingly angry and even apoplectic as this campaign drags on and the campaigns get stupider and stupider in their messaging. Justin's face just gets more and more virulently purple and you can actually hear the purple on the show. Oppo's been fantastic. Check it out. Our senior producer is Kasia Mihailovich. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton and Jordan Cornish. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like this show, if you like our other shows, if our news reports are something that you read and value, all of this work happens because people support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Please help us out. My name is Darby Wheeler and I am a film and TV director directed Hip Hop Evolution, which I believe we're speaking about today. We have very similar resumes. My name is Rodrigo Baskudin. With Darby, I wrote, produced, and directed some episodes of Hip Hop Evolution. And my name is Shad, Shadrach Cabango. I'm an artist and also the host of Hip Hop uh, Evolution. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. For having us. I guess the first thing I, I would have to recognize is just like the sheer number of people you talk to, Shad. Like, mm. what strikes you first is, like, you really booked some big stars. Like, it's not just, like, yeah, you got Snoop and Ice Cube and Ice-T and Sean Combs and LL and Lil' Kim. But there's also, like, Africa Bombada, Grand Wizard Theodore, Cool Herc, Fab Five Freddy, Roxanne Chante, like, literally the people who invented, some of the people who invented this thing that took over the world. Mm -hmm. And then Prince Paul was in there. <laughs> and Primo and Pete Rock and, like, Rod Digga. Whatever happened to Rod Digga? She's in the show. There are over 130 interviews. Oh, wow. And you have four episodes in your season. So how the hell did you book this show? At the beginning, first season, it was mostly Darby and yeah, I. Yeah. And we would split it up, sometimes just, like, based on our sort of psychological profile of what, <laughs> how, what we thought this person was like. So I got the nerds. Or Darby, the, or got, the... Darby got the divas. That was kind yeah. of like the division. Uh -huh. Darby would be like, this guy seems like super nerdy. Yeah. He's like, you should talk to him. <laughs> but then, Ow, uh, Two hours later, yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, later. thanks yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But we did a lot of the chasing first season. And then second to fourth, we had a dedicated talent producer and then an American producer, talent producer. And then we'd also have local fixers that you know were friends or people we, we found. So it was a real combination of all things. And then also at the same time, we're still doing yeah, it. Yeah, I would say so, we drove it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I used to work at Much Music with George Strombolopoulos in the hour at CBC. So I know how to chase people pretty good, as Rodrigo does too. Just finding, but with hip hop, it was different. You had to sometimes find like 
Run DMC, DMC's brother, you know, like, or uh, weird angles to get numbers to old school guys, right? It's like a game. Uh, yeah. So-and-so knows yeah. so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, hip-hop's an industry, but it's also a community. I have to mm-hmm. imagine as you get oh, to yeah. season three that, like, word gets around, like, well, I mean, it's what we do. We say, well, here are the people who've been on the show so far, and then people can speak of the experience, whether it was a good one or not. Mm-hmm. So There's, like, a domino effect to it, but it is really impressive. Like, I had a call with a guy I know who's, like, a VP at, was it Universal or Sony in L.A.? And he's trying to make documentary films about music. He's like, how do you guys get all these people? Because I'm trying to get these people. And they record for us. They're on our label. (laughs) And I can't get them to sit down for our productions. I'm like, yeah, these guys kind of know how to play this game of like, sometimes it is talking to their brother. Or the person no one knows who influenced them. Sometimes we'd sit down and have an interview with them. And then we can approach that person we really want to sit down with and, and say, yeah, we spoke with this person. They're like, oh, you know your stuff then. We were strategic about it at the beginning, especially. We knew that you could build it bottom up. So you get Cool Herc and that, you know, that'll make Flash do it. Yeah. Which will make Bam do it. And if you got those three guys, okay, now Melly Mel will do it. Oh, now you got all those guys, so Run DMC will do it. Second, third, and fourth season, it was a little bit different because by that point, the first season it aired, you could say, oh, it's won some awards. You know, it airs on Netflix. All of that helped. It was like a package now. Part of the pleasure of watching it is their moments were like, oh, they got this big star, yeah, but, then, yeah. but then just like, oh, like Shad is just walking into somebody's apartment, and on the other side of that door is Grand Wizard Theater. Like, like I'm just like picturing in my head, like I guess you just go yeah. to the airport and get on a plane and go to New York and get in a cab and then knock on a door, and when that door <laughs> opens, well, that's the, who's standing there. Well, the funny thing, and I from my artist life, I know this too. Like, if I have to sit down for an interview, oftentimes the place I'll suggest is my house. This is easier. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's easier for me. I can just wake up, come downstairs, and we can just, and I'm comfortable. So it kind of works out well because it looks great, <laughs> but it is also just yeah, easier the for place. the artists. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, and it's interesting as you get into the history of hip hop. The further you get, the nicer the rooms. <laughs> you know, Most but some of the people yeah. who are m- most fundamental to yeah. this. Thing, thing everybody seems to be doing fine but like some people are just like yeah this is my apartment and yeah. you know, cool herc yeah. drove up in a really crappy honda yeah. civic like yeah. a 1988 really? honda civic you know like yeah, yeah. With in those general are, yeah. the pioneers like the real real pioneers like the 70s yeah. bronx harlem guys they missed out on the payday they didn't get yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and even when you move forward like even through the 80s like people who are big like a rakim or a kane like you never really know because the the deals were so bad back then. Yeah, what they really got, you know, like you have big groups that really never. I don't think they got any. They tour, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Some so, of them are still hustling, I guess. To, yeah, like Most whatever definitely. that name yeah, can, yeah. can translate into. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to guess. You, yeah. you like so and so is doing fine, but an equivalent artist who you think would might be okay is, is has sh- nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you you kind of can feel that after a while, like who's who's doing well, who isn't. Okay, so Canadaland deals with journalism, and I want to discuss what you did as a work of journalism. And it, it, I know you resist the term definitive, but I think <laughs> it's the most exhaustive. I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, definitive is tough because there's a lot missing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how can you? You know, yeah, so th- yeah. three seasons so far, four episodes a season. I mean, but this seems like, as an oral history, as an attempt to document it, this seems like the biggest swing at it so far. And it got me thinking about the relationship between hip hop and journalism writ large, which has been kind of a strained relationship from the start. 
I think maybe because hip hop itself is a form of journalism, you know, the, the famous Chuck D quote, this like uh, black America, CNN, and, you know, the emphasis on telling your own story. And I think a, a real awareness of the power that exists in who gets to tell your story and seizing mm-hmm. that power and saying, well, I'm going to tell my own story. And then when other people come in and tell it, I mean, some of the archival footage you dig up of the early news media reactions to hip hop. <laughs> There is mounting concern that the music teenagers are listening to, rap, is getting too explicit. Susan Pierce is a parent who is not impressed by Two Live Crew. That's your job as a parent is to set some standards for your kids. I think this is nothing but verbal pollutants. Federal judge in South Florida declared Two Live Crew's album, Nasty As They Wanna Be, obscene by local community standards. <laughs> that stuff has not aged well. Yeah, yeah. You know, just the, the disgust and the yeah, demonization. Two Live Crew is a good example. In season two, there's like yeah. a whole news crew of people that's just so yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, the moral panic. Yes. I mean, and then, the, the, you know, the Senate committees and Tipper Gore and all that stuff I remember of just uh, how, I mean, people were terrified. And they were just very dismissive of it as a form. Yeah, the general sense was it was going to be a trend. Like it was going yeah. to disappear, right? It was a novelty. Are you all Canadians in this room? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How the hell are you the ones telling huh. the most exhaustive history of hip-hop from the beginning? Like, how is this your work of journalism? It's funny because, you know, here we are in 2019, and I think there's an understood value of the history of hip-hop now. Yeah. But when this series was first being pitched in 2012, 2013, which is not that long ago, really, it wasn't the same. So when, it, when you know, Banger, the production company, was pitching this it, it wasn't like everyone's like amazing idea like here's oh, your money run with it people were like not sure if that's gonna work who cares they about were this scared it was very, too. there was a lot yeah. of skepticism mm-hmm. about the value of this of telling this history so what that did is it presented an opportunity because imagine if that's the same conversation that's happening with possibly other production companies or journalists in the united states and they're getting that same pushback where people are not really interested so there was sort of there was an opportunity there for people to come in. And, you know, we just happened to be the ones that got that chance. But I do think there was also an advantage to being Canadian to it. And we heard this from Americans, yeah. not mm-hmm. just me mm-hmm. speculating, in that we were a, we're a blank slate. We don't come with any baggage. Mm-hmm. We don't have a particular bias towards any artists or regions. You know, whereas I think a lot of, of the more well-known journalists, if they had tried the project might already be tainted in some way by their history. You know, things that we don't even know about, right? Whatever relationships they had, where they're from, et cetera, et cetera. So being Canadian really kind of like, people saw us without judgment. You know, just like, okay, they're an inoffensive Canadian crew and it's going to be really like nice and innocent, right? Not that there was anything unsavory about it, but they were just open to it. So it helped us from that perspective. That's one aspect of it. And and the other one, I wonder, like, Canadians kind of famously seem to be able to take an overview approach. Like, we just grow up right. consuming so much American media, mm-hmm. and we don't have the same kind of, like, regional association. I mean, maybe there is a Toronto to New York kind of thing, <laughs> that, you know. But there's also just seems to be, like... If you're Canadian and into comedy, you become a student of comedy. If you're Canadian and into rock, you become a student of rock. Right. Do, is yeah. there like a Poindexter hip hop nerd aspect of this, where Canadian the Canadianness helps you? I think so too. I mean, it's just like Darby was saying, right? Like he grew up near Windsor or near yeah. Chatham, Windsor area, right? So like certain artists, like let's take for example E40. 
clouds. The moon is full, look at the dark clouds. Sitting in my scraper watching Oakland going wild, ta -da. I don't bump mainstream, I knock underground. All that other sugar coated and watered down. No one in Toronto likes E4, like to a great extent, right? Like it's just, but in Detroit, they love yeah, E4. And Too Short, yeah, I used in, to buy those records there. So yeah, in I definitely Houston, have a In they yeah. love E40. It's like, yeah. so yeah, I, yeah, I do feel like that's absolutely It's a good example, E40. Yeah, E40 is great. Because if you go to Texas, E40 is the yeah. biggest rapper like ever outside of like Ghetto Boys. What about you as an MC from here? Same thing. Do you yeah. feel like being Canadian frees you from having to kind of be too affiliated with something? Like you, you can kind of just love everything I, with I, permission to love everything? I think so. And like Drake's kind of a prime example, right? Like he kind of popped up doing a style that everybody loved in Houston because it kind of touched on what they were doing and obviously New York. But Fonte from North Carolina is one of his favorite rappers. Like he, he is this hybrid of yeah, so is. many styles of rap he was maybe the first guy to be like i don't have a cadence i don't have a style like i love music i love rap music and i kind of do it all so yeah i i think so for sure there's a freedom to that yeah it is kind of funny we never really got pushback from people i don't think people saw us as outsiders because rodrigo had ran a you know a hip-hop magazine for decade and i worked at you know much and and Shad was already an MC. People were very aware. Like, all the De La Soul guys love Shad. I just remember that, right? Like, so it wasn't that we were outsiders. That feel good. But I, yeah, good. But I <laughs> definitely, you know, Nelson George, the, the journalist, he was worked with us on the first season. And me and Rodrigo did some early research sessions with him in Toronto. And that was, he literally, first thing he said was, he goes, you guys are so lucky to be Canadian. You don't even know. And so we really didn't know, yeah. right? But it was that sort of, like you said, like like Rodrigo mentioned, no baggage. There's And, and, and I actually think there's... I always said an example to Rodrigo, you know, BBC and English journalism and music journalism did reggae so good. They just covered it. And that sort of was our goal with hip hop to be, make Canadians be the ones who, like you said, have that lens that could look, yeah. you know, and, and not be so inside, you know, and have things that would curve your perspective in a way. And then when the door mm -hmm. knocks and, and they open their home to, and it's you, Shad, mm -hmm. they really seem very, very comfortable yeah i mean, I mean you're a stranger I, to almost I, yeah. all these people right? yeah i think the hard thing is getting people to sit down right like the chasing that we were talking about at the beginning but once they're sitting down they're talking about hip-hop they love it like i think the best example is probably lil kim do you remember that first rhyme you kicked for biggie it was on fulton street right i was a baby you know 16 17 basically I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but um, I used to really like Buckshot. I Buck used shot. to rhyme like him. I would listen to Black Moon over and over again. I don't remember it all, but I remember I said something to the sense of, I'm so hot, I'm hotter than the sun, now where am I, or who that to come, or whatever. You hit him with the Buckshot flow. Hit him with the Buckshot. <laughs> hit him with the Buckshot flow. And he was like, wait a minute, what? Like that big ass voice coming out of this little ass girl. He was like, <laughs> she is in another world now you know you can see like she's in a sort of a different world she's still in hip-hop but she's well, also we have to unpack that a bit sure <laughs> but yeah what's this different world well, of Lil kim's it's little kim world you know she's in the world a world i'm unfamiliar with of like you know dressing up and instagram and all she's like an icon she's in a very very moneyed environment and i'm like <laughs> okay here's little kim and and then she's like she really opens up to you 
a lot of people ask me about that interview in particular because they see the photos and see how much she's changed and they wonder, what's she like anyways? And I was like, honestly, once we started talking about hip hop, she was like maybe the coolest person yeah, we talked to. she so is cool. So cool. Yeah, like, I agree. Funny. Like street, yeah, and still and Kim. Everybody says that about her. Like she looks different. Kim. Like people in her world are like, that's still Kim. Yeah. You know, people always yeah. say that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, what I'm getting at is like, getting people to sit down for an interview. It's not promoting their project or whatever is probably the hard part of the game. Once they're sitting down and they're talking about the music they love, the era where all these special things happened in their life, like, they're just happy to do it. I think that you do connect with them on, on the level of like. A mutual love. Yeah. And I think, I think so. there's something about you to give you some respect as an interviewer hmm. that again and again rests these very human, unexpected moments out of people who we know as like almost like superheroes or cartoon characters or like whether they're icons or however you think of them, you don't think of them as just like a person telling a story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I enjoyed that aspect of it, kind of trying to prepare myself to like receive someone's story, you know? But I do think there's a thing about connecting around music, and it certainly, again, helped once the first season was out. So, like, Snoop, for example, saw the first season, loved it, and when he sat down to talk, I think he got what the show is and what we're looking for, right? Yeah. So when people had that experience, it was always a lot easier, too. Like, he, I mean, he's a pro, but he also, because he saw the show, I think he understood, yeah, okay? he was different, though, right? You're yeah. right about that, because I actually sort of, I did tell him what we were going to do, and it was about Tupac a lot, right? So he didn't go into Snoop, you know, funny, ha-la-ha. He had a different vibe about him. Uh, I've never seen him like that in, yeah. in an interview yeah, yeah. And, and this moment. And I don't know, like, not everybody listening will know the context of, like, talking about Biggie versus Tupac, like, again. Like, <laughs> like the subject of, like, endless dorm room conspiracy theories, Illuminati. There's been documentaries made about this and who assassinated. And, and, and then you've just got Snoop, like, realizing that his own son is the same age yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as Tupac when yeah. Tupac was killed. I was riding on the freeway and I heard it on the radio station. Like 25, my oldest son is 25 years old. I'm thinking like, damn, that's only how old he was. He did a lot, but he didn't get a chance to do what he needed to do. He had more to do. And it kind of builds. You've, you've got... You know, Sean Combs just remembering his friend. I was ready to quit. I wasn't going to put out any more records. Then I was watching TV one day. You know, one of those times of despair that nobody is around, and you're, like, crying on the floor, and this, the self-pity is at an all-time high, and you're, like, asking God why. And, and then I just heard um, every breath you take by the police. I just took it as a sign. And sometimes you need, you just need that little bit of light to be able to express yourself. And I thought that the best thing I could do was not give up. I was down and I was out, but I wasn't finished. Um, but all I could do was, was get up and, and start to fight. And that's the way, you know, Big would have wanted it. And you bring him to tears thinking about that. And then the way that oral histories work of like everybody kind of comparing notes and what you kind of get is a different telling of that, of a story that I thought I'd never want to hear. Same here. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. And, and, and the telling yeah. is, yeah. this was 
idiotic. This was just this was a tragic series of mistakes and circumstances and accidents that never had to happen. And now that these two incredibly talented people aren't with us because of it, it's very sad. It was it was the episode I was least interested in watching, and the one that I think I might have learned the most from. We were definitely concerned about making Ugh. it because of exactly what you said. You know, it's been covered so much, and we knew okay. Originally, we were only going to do one episode about it. And even at points, we're like, should we just run over this whole thing? Yeah, have them gone. Give it a quick gloss. Get out. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the the prism of the show is what's happening to the music and the culture. That's the guiding principle, which will explain, like, why people aren't there or why people are there. You know, that that is our guiding principle. So when we sat back, it's like, we're telling the story of the East and West with respect to how it will ultimately affect the culture, which is what you get at the end of the second episode, which is the emergence of Puff and this jiggy sound of hip-hop collectively wanting to breathe a sigh of relief and like look to a brighter sound to forget what they've just been through. Yeah, know? and the hyper-commercialization that followed oh, and, yeah. and it taking right. a turn towards party music. Like, you know, like, like yeah. that's, you can't skip that chapter. Exactly. So, But they're connected. They're connected ideas, they're connected moments, that the fact that these tragedies happen and they're sort of this realization of hip-hop's collective power and responsibility is a part of the same story as the emergence of the Jiggy era. Mm -hmm. Those are the same thing. They're just, you know, cause and effect in a way. So that was why we ended up telling it the way we did. Yeah, you're not going to satisfy everybody, too. Like you said, there's a million things about Biggie and Tupac's murders, and there's those kind of viewers who are like, why didn't they go tell... This part yeah, of the story, yeah, yeah. there's a, a lot of inter- yeah, yeah. you know oh, inside yeah. stuff, and you that, can, those, you can yeah. that yeah. as far as research and oh, yeah. writing episodes, that was the one that drove us the most crazy. And editing, editing yeah. Yeah. never mind. Yeah. That was the one that drove because it was just there's so many pathways you can go down, and you just have to again, you'd have to remember what your principles are about. It's like it's about music and culture, which is why our entry point to that is to explain this is where hip hop is right now. The West has risen. The East has come back, and now there's sort of this standoff, stalemate. But there's also a history here of kind of like a subliminal animosity that's already always existed. So that's why we start there with those stories of like, what was the foundation that could even allow something so silly as a bi-coastal war, which, you know, now sounds just really crazy and ridiculous. Yeah. But at the time, there were, like, precedents for it. So that's why we go there. So yeah. you can understand, like how this all unfolds, right? And it was really, that that was the guiding principle of that whole episode. How does it happen in hip-hop, right? And what is hip-hop's story about it? The guiding principle of, of the whole thing, I think, is joy. And the way that I think you're able to get the moments you get is through just whatever else is happening. I mean, you're in some strange situations. I see he's got this dog and like, you know, or, or you're just in somebody's apartment, like, you know, but whatever happens is like, that's the point that everybody can agree on. And some of those moments, aside from these dramas, like Q-Tip shaking his head thinking about Illmatic and just like, yeah, yeah. it's well, a masterpiece. You, you it's know a masterpiece. That, that was what I was really happy that these guys did in the editing is they made the show entertaining and fun to watch. Because I knew how thoroughly researched it was. But I was like, I hate, I hate when music docs, like there's been music docs that I've watched. I'm not going to name them my name, but they're like <laughs> about a music or era or a group that I love. And I'm like, why am I going to wash the dishes right now. Like I'm actually bored watching this. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't contain any of the joy that is actually in the music. In which case what's the point? In which case what's the point? Yeah. Right? So I do that's 
probably my favorite thing about yeah, hip hop well, evolution is that, earlier, is that it yeah. is entertaining. It's fun to watch, just like the music is fun to listen to. It's beyond that. Like yeah. the, the look on your face when like supernatural is yeah. is rhyming <laughs> and works in hip hop evolution into it. When it comes to spitting, yo, I'm never disrespected. There is no confusion. Write the constitution. Sitting here, this is hip hop evolution. Ooh. And yo, I'm still here. And that's the way we take it. It's nice. I'ma stop right there. Cause we wrecking it, right? Uh. There's just a sense yes. from you the whole time. I was like, I get to be here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. And I, I never wanted to. I never wanted to hide that. And I wanted to even highlight, like, yo, freestyling is amazing. We don't really do it anymore. Yeah. Like, whatever. Like, it's not exactly part of the culture anymore. But it's amazing. And this is part of why the culture spread it was yeah. because of amazing things like breakdancing and freestyling and like pure skills. Uh, pure mm, skills yeah. and and these moments. Like, uh, I do love the Nas section. Because it highlights, yo, when this guy came out, there's a lot of people we talked to, they're like, we were working on albums and we stopped. Yeah. Like, really good artists, they're like, we stopped. Illmatic is right there with what's going on, Marvin Gaye. Like, it's that good. Like, it really is. It's a masterpiece. And I don't really throw that word around and shit, but it's a masterpiece. Illmatic changed everything. Like, you had to be better, period. And, like, to capture what that means to, like, an entire genre and culture is, like, it should feel exciting. It shouldn't feel anything less than exciting. And I think it's, like, a history that recognizes it's not just simply, like, the style evolved and this sound came out of this. Like, no, like, individuals, geniuses. 17-year-old, 18-year-old geniuses. Like, how young they were, too, is just, like, amazing. Grandmaster Flash at 13, (laughs) discovering new ways to use a turntable. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) As a junior high kid. Kids. You know, like, revolutionizing music and what that must have felt like when people at a party are hearing a section of a record looped for the first time. Yeah. They'd never heard that. They had no imagination for how that could even be possible. Well, and that's the the kind of original joy, is taking... Like it's not supposed to be an instrument. It's it's something you're, you're like we're just, you're just supposed to buy shit with this. You're just a consumer, and you put it on, and you turn it into an instrument. Yes, and that's a foundational act of joy that yeah. everything is built on. Yeah. yeah. Was there a favorite for you? Is was there yeah. like an interview that? I guess I have two categories of favorites. Like there's some that are my favorite because I really learned something. Like there was one interview I remember we had with Angie Martinez. And that was just interesting learning about, you know, hip hop journalism and stuff. But also there's just a moment in that interview where it clicked for me that like, oh, hip hop is New York culture. Because we've been talking about it even here, like it's an American thing, but it's actually New York culture. I was just talking with her and she was talking. I was like, she has no other culture but this. Like this is her life and how she lives and breathes and whatever. So there are moments like that, interviews that I really like. And then there's just artists that I'm a huge fan of. Like uh, Q-Tip yeah. was a big one for all yeah, of Chad us. Chad was I tripping think. on when he was Q-Tip. That was the only interview I, that I noticed that he was a little nervous about. There's two. Were you nervous? Yeah. I, I, I didn't was, even notice that I yeah. was nervous. But like, like I didn't think I would be nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just sitting there in front of Q-Tip was like, you just get this like shock of like Q-tip. everything I, my career is because you yeah. live. Right. Yeah. right, right. Yeah, he is. A I don't know. It's like a weird sure. feeling yeah, of yeah. like, yeah, like I, pretty much most of what I understand of hip hop right. is like you and uh, the people you inspire and the people yeah, you yeah, inspire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, KRS One would be another highlight of an interview just because. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great one. I always put it this way. Like 
if you had my job of interviewing all these rappers, but you never heard rap music, you'd interview Karis one and be like, he's the best rapper. Right. <laughs> Based on the interview? Based yeah. on the interview. Oh, yeah. Like, he's so yeah. charismatic, it's insane. Today's topic, self-destruction, humiliate the rap audience is bugging. It's one of two suckers, ignorant brothers, trying to rob and steal from one another. Let's come to a show to unity. We know exactly who we are. This is what it means to be conscious, to be awake, to be aware. I feel like it needs to be underlined that you are a hell of an interviewer in this. Oh, thank you. And, and, and you know, we're in the context in Canada of, of the Canadian media. How do I get at this? <laughs> Let me just read you some Globe and Mail headlines about you. Sure. Q, why is Shad so bad? <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. That was... Rapper broadcaster Shad being replaced as host of CBC's Q. CBC starting with Clean Slate as Q relaunches under Tom Power. Here's a, a Globe and Mail headline I can't seem to find. Shad just won a Peabody and an Emmy for his journalism. Why is that not a story? I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Probably hard for um, you to have a perspective on it, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, do you think the Canadian media has missed hip-hop evolution? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's been completely ignored. Hmm. It's uh, a Netflix show that is being watched. As far as I can tell, it's, I mean, like, I, I don't, Netflix doesn't give you their numbers, right? So it's doing really well. Yeah. It seems like we it's know doing really it's, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Canadians give each other awards for journalism. Like, there, there are more awards than there are journalists at this point. <laughs> I don't really give a shit about awards. I want a Peabody. The Peabody is. Yeah, we're pretty happy about the Peabody. The Peabody is the broadcaster's Pulitzer. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the biggest yeah. journalism mm. awards that exists. That's a big deal that you want to. We didn't even award. submit yeah. to it. They found us yeah. too, so it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's weird. I I think that I mean, look, you've been on the show before, mm -hmm. and then I've talked about you on the show before, and I thought that you got a raw deal. I I think that that the way that you were set up, I think that that show is a fucking hard show, hundred percent, a, a daily show. Yes. Yeah. To put somebody in who hasn't done that kind of work before yeah. with the entire eyes of the nation on them following the Gian Gomeshi scandal. That was my feeling when I spoke to you about mm -hmm. that. It was like, be careful out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I knew that would be, I mean, challenging is an understatement. Like, I knew it would be basically impossible. Yeah. But I was, I, I don't know, I was up for that. And I don't know why, but I've just never cared that much about the opinions of strangers. You That's enjoyed just, it too, right? I mean, you told yeah, me this. I, yeah, I did. Oh, the job? Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 I really did. There is a difference, and maybe it's by virtue of the experience of Q, but I also feel like it's like, I don't know. That's a machinery, and, and people put you in situations, and you've got to kind of uh, find common ground with people doing theater and people yeah. doing this. Like things, you know, there's no one who's an expert on all of those different things. But the connection you have to this material, I don't know. I just think that yeah. the, I, I, because you took so much heat as an interviewer, mm -hmm. I feel like as much attention should be paid to the fact that you're very good at it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, the, I appreciate that. a good training ground. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, like, I want to be honest. I was very grateful for Q for Shad because he had this memory thing that was worked more now. Like, you yeah. were pretty good mem memorizing stuff anyways. Yeah. But you were on another level. And then also, like, doing voiceovers. He just had a different... Yeah. I saw it like immediately. I was just like, yeah. I remember I mean, seeing the, the only thing yeah. that was funny to me is like, uh, there was this sense that like, uh, I didn't enjoy doing the inter interviews at Q and like, I enjoy these ones. It's like, I enjoyed them all. Yeah. I, I love talking to new people. Like I find it like interesting, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was like five interviews a day. It was definitely like good. Super great. Training. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing that I wonder about and especially from your perspective as a Canadian MC, 
is how do you tell the story of hip hop without recognizing the fact that it has completely exploded globally and that anywhere you go, people are recasting it in their own image and telling their stories through this form. I don't know how you leave that out and I don't know how you tell it either because yeah. every country has its own history of hip hop. It is actually really fascinating how hip hop arrives in different places. If we did a Toronto episode, that would be an interesting story to tell. But I can say as Canadian MC, like I'm not offended that we're not in it, you know, like at this point, you know, like the chronology, you can't move chronologically at a certain point. As you can see with the show, like once you arrive at 1990 something, hip hop is everywhere and it's moving and you kind of have to make decisions. These guys, I think, make wonderful decisions about like how to tell a story about how this music has changed. And I don't, I'm not personally offended that we haven't gone to Toronto or like to London in the UK because, and actually, and I'll say this in fairness, I don't think we had a profound effect on the music and culture, like changing it and shaping yeah. it until Drake. I was going to say, like, I would have loved to have seen Dream Warriors in there. Yeah. But I get why they're not in there. I think Shad pretty much got it in that, again, the, the prism was always like, how's, what's happening in the music and culture? How is it changing? And when you look at it like that, it's hard to find examples where the evolution of the music is not driven by Americans. Yep. Yeah. You know, so in France, they have their history, but it's influenced by styles from America. And in the UK, same thing, where that's not really happening. There's not a real reciprocal relationship there. There's not a lot of American MCs will tell you, oh, I listened to so-and-so from Germany, and that's where I got my style from. So the evolution of the music is mostly being It's still the engine, you know? It's still like... I don't know, and stuff can happen, but it's it's really interesting how that still the center still holds. Yeah, Drake is really the first yeah. international and you can't artist cover... to change the sound of America. Yeah, it does, yeah. It, it, yeah. and that actually is a real Canadian contribution because yeah. yeah. it's like, I don't know, like the the freedom to be emo or yeah. the freedom to you know to, to like yeah. a lot of the stuff we're talking about about what is the Canadian perspective is like the liberty to be kind of freed from different conceptions of what it is where you take your inspiration from yeah. or what kind of attitude you have to you have to represent. yeah I mean yeah. It, there is a version there actually it's funny there was a version where the whole series ends with Drake but we decided that we couldn't get that far we just like this is too much we need to end it earlier but in that version of it. It's the same thing. There's building blocks that lead to Drake. Right? Yeah. There's Kanye's 808 and Heartbreaks. There's Kid Cudi. Wayne. Right? So they start opening up this lane for Drake to actually exist. You know, so much of music and, and hip-hop is timing, right? Would Drake doing the exact same thing 10 years earlier would have, have worked? I don't think so. You needed these sort of primers to get you to the point where the culture is open to, one, different regions contributing and that took the internet to happen where sort of those yeah. boundaries were broken down. And then the second part of it, where you could have this sound that was more ambient, where you could have consistent mix of like crooning and rapping, which is what Cuddy and Kanye bring to it. So there's all these kind of setups. And then you get Drake comes in at the right moment and it makes sense to the culture. And it, and it can cross over. And then on top of that, he's got an American cosign, which is just that extra push that he needed to build. But once he gets in the culture, he's accepted, and it makes sense at the time, so the sound blows up, right? 
But it's all built on things that are kind of bubbly. So that for a sounds while. like a, that's a season four thing. <laughs> I just gave you an episode. Yeah. You know, I was joking yesterday. You know that that doc series where the documentarian follows those kids called Seven Up, and every seven years he checks in yeah, with them. Yeah, sure. We're doing that for hip hop. Every seven years we're going <laughs> right. to check in back. and make it. Up. We're going to be like eighty years old. It'll be like okay. season ten. You know. Congratulations! It's Thanks a great show. for having yeah. us. Thanks, yeah, Jesse. Thank you. I appreciate it. That is your Canada Land for this week. I hope you liked it. If you did, tell a friend, review it. Or if you didn't, you can tell me about it. Or, you know, if you did, you can tell me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read every email that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Go to our website to listen to Oppo. It is interesting to listen to Justin Ling become increasingly angry and even apoplectic as this campaign drags on and the campaigns get stupider and stupider in their messaging. Justin's face just gets more and more virulently purple and you can actually hear the purple on the show. Oppo's been fantastic. Check it out. Our senior producer is Kasia Mihailovich. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton and Jordan Cornish. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like this show, if you like our other shows, if our news reports are something that you read and value, all of this work happens because people support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Please help us out. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.